very grateful. We're uh, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're just taking the time in the month of January, and we're going to kind of go chapter by chapter. I'm trying not to get bogged down on it. But uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, eight chapters of our Bible, but every one of them speak of the pre-tribulation coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of those chapters reference that. We're going to see as we continue to study that some of it will reference the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The pastor, we're talking about the second coming. The first coming is the rapture of the church. And that is when we're going to meet the Lord in the air. He's not coming to the earth. We'll meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And we'll go back to be with the Heavenly Father. That will, that in the Bible is called the day of Christ. That's when the Lord is coming back. It's the day of Christ. Not to be confused with the day of the Lord. It's a different, a different, different, uh, different reference in my opinion. At that coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that will, that will end the church age as we know it. And uh, that will end that. You find that in Revelation chapter 4 all the way through to Revelation chapter 19 and 20. You won't find a reference to the church because the church is not there. The church is with the Lord at the, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb and the judgment seat of Christ. And, uh, but there is going to be a tribulation period. The first three and a half years, of course, the man of sin will be revealed and he will, uh, the Antichrist will set up and he'll work out a peace deal. The first three and a half years pretty calm. And then the temple will be built in Jerusalem. We believe that will happen. And then he will call himself God and sacrifice in the, in the place of the, where, where only God should be worshipped. He sets himself up as God and they call that the, um, the abomination, desolation. We find that that is taking place right there in the middle. And then... He will begin his onslaught against the Jews in particular and anyone who uh, wants to worship the Lord. Many people, I think, will be saved in that tribulation period. But, uh, boy, it's going to be a very difficult thing at the end uh, because that is going to be at the end of the seven years, uh, the Lord is going to come back. And when he comes back, that will usher in the millennium, but there will be the battle of Armageddon. There will be a great, uh, a great forceful entry of the Lord. And he's coming back with his saints. There's two comings. He's coming for his saints. That's the rapture of the church. And he's coming back with his saints. That is the day of the Lord. And that will usher in what we believe to be the thousand year reign with the Lord. And that's a time in which Satan will uh, be bound in his imps will be bound in the, in the bottomless pit and they will not be, have access that they do right now. Much of our problems today, uh, we, have, we have three problems, the world, the flesh, and the, the devil. And uh, certainly in that millennium period, the Satan will be bound. He will be let out one more time uh, because there will be obviously people who are born in and, uh, and lived during that uh, millennium period. And everyone who has accepted the gift of eternal life have had to deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil and to accept him. And so I guess that is probably why Satan will be let go one more time to deceive the nations and for those who have a chance to receive or reject uh, the Lord as their God uh, during that time. That is just my, my conjecture, but I do believe that probably would make sense to me. Why I always kind of wonder, why would the Lord let him out? Just, just put him down and be done with it. But he lets him come back to deceive the nations one more time, and, and uh, everybody will have a chance to believe or receive the, uh, the Lord. 
And uh, in times, I will tell you this, uh, they're, they're in that second coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, that's going to be grievous. That is where Jesus uh, said that there'll be famines and, and wars and all the things, and all the things are going to be winding down as God uh, puts the world in the uncle position, where they're going to say uncle. You know, it's going to be, they, he's going he's to brine them through his, his funnel of wrath. That's going to be a very serious time, and, and uh, the Old Testament prophets spoke primarily of the day of the Lord, and, they, and Jesus spoke primarily. When you read Matthew chapter 24, 25, you'll speak, Jesus is speaking about that. He is not talking, in my opinion, about the rapture of the church. He is talking about the day of the Lord, uh, that tribulation period. But several times in the scripture, you'll see uh, Romans chapter 5, verse number 9, that we're delivered from the wrath to come. And we find that, I think, mainly in the book of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and also in the book of 1 Corinthians. The two books of the Bible that were, written, that were given, there are two books given to the church at Corinth and the church at Thessalonica. Now, the Apostle Paul was just there, we believe, less than a month, three Sabbath days in which he instructed these people, and he spoke to them very candidly about the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church. And they were, they were familiar with that. And then, of course, uh, he had to leave abruptly, went on to Berea, and then he went on to Athens, and he sent Timothy back to this church. Maybe Silas, I, I kind of always thought that, that Timothy and, and Silas both went back to Thessalonica. Maybe they did, or uh, we know at least Timothy did, and we'll find it from this passage of Scripture especially. Maybe Silas went to Berea to train and to help the new believers there. I don't know for sure. But um, nonetheless, Timothy went back, and he's referenced in chapter 3. At the end of each five chapters of 1 Thessalonians, you'll see a direct, uh, uh, direct talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, to wait for his Son from heaven in chapter 1. The coming of the Lord, chapter 2. The coming of the Lord with his saints back to the Heavenly Father in chapter 3. And then, of course, the classic chapter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that you've heard at funerals. And, and uh, I would not have you to be ignorant, brother, knowing them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. And if we believe that Jesus died, buried, and rose again, and we have, this, we have the word of the Lord on this, and comfort yourselves. And uh, I don't know much that has to happen for the Lord to come back at any time. I don't think we have to look for any more signs. We can listen for the shout, and we can wait for the trump of the Lord. And if you say, what does it need to do in order to, for the Lord to come back? I don't know of anything that needs to happen for the Lord to come back. I think he could come back right now without apology. And we see in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, and he'll give a list of 18 sins. Selfish sins, sexual sins, searching sins of the learned, and I think we see it all over the place. If that's the last days, we're there. And I think the Lord needs them to come back. Now, I think a lot of the signs that we see in the scriptures are not pointing to the day of Christ and the rapture. They're pointing to the day of the Lord and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think as we go through this study, we'll learn a little bit more about that. I can't tell you that I'm an authority on it. I, I'm learning, and there are some things that are coming to my, my heart as I learn that are some, some of which are the first time. I, I've read this many times, and I've have, had the joy to be a pastor for 22 years, and I have preached in all the books of the Bible at different times and things of that nature, not all the way through, but I have done First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians many times, or several times, I should say, 
But there are some things that the Lord is showing me that I nothing new, no new truth, but some things that I think are kind of the puzzles coming together in some ways uh, that have been helpful to me, and I hope it will be helpful to you as well. Well, in chapter, you say, what's the big deal about the coming of Christ? Why should I be excited about it, or why should we anticipate it, the coming of the Lord? I think there's four main reasons that we do it. Number one, it gives us patience of hope. Whenever the Bible speaks, the word rapture is not in our Bible. It means a calling, a calling away or to be caught up. And neither is the word trinity in our Bible. There's a lot of biblical words that are not said in our Bible, but we refer to it, the rapture of the church. I think probably Titus, uh, the book of Titus, and Paul says, he calls it the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that hope is a guarantee based upon God's revelation. Who said he's going to come back again? Jesus. Will you believe that? And when he tells you something, you can, you can build your, you can cash that check. That's going to happen. And he says, if I go to come, if I go away, I'm going to come again, receive you into myself. So he says he's coming back all through the Bible. It speaks of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why should I be excited about that? Number one, it gives me patience, perseverance, strength to keep on going because I have a word from God. You know, why did Abraham and Sarah travel from place to place in the wilderness? All, everybody said, why are you doing this? You lived in the early Chaldees. You probably had an indoor toilet. You had a nice house. Why are you going around like a nomad all over this property? And all they had was, God told me to. <laughs> they just had the word of God. And they had faith in, in, in what God revealed his word say, it, to say. And everybody that did that. Why did Abel kill a lamb? Because God told him to. Why did Noah build an ark? God told him to. Why did Enoch walk with God? God told him to. Why did Abraham and Sarah, why did Isaac follow his dad and then, and then Jacob follow his dad Isaac? And why did Joseph say, hey, don't leave my bones in Egypt? Because God told him to. Why did Moses choose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin? Because he had, he had God's word on it. And that's, all we, that's what we have and that's all we need. Uh, that's all we need is the word of God on it. But the importance of the coming of Christ and your thought to be on that is because, number one, it'll give you patience to keep on going when you get discouraged. All of us have foul thoughts that come to our mind about God, about our season of life, about how long, how long. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's time for thee, O God, to work. <laughs> Sometimes I go to God and say, all right, Lord, enough is enough. Let's go. It's time for you to get, get, get going on this situation. But what keeps you going when you don't see any movement? What keeps you going when you don't know? Well, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ gives us patience of hope. Number two, it challenges us to be pure. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, the Bible says, When he shall appear, we shall be like him. And if we have this promise in us, he says we should purify ourselves even as he is pure. And not too long ago, I was telling one of, my, one of my children, I said, I want this to be done before I get back. And the question was, when are you getting back? <laughs> I said, that's for me to know you to find out. Get it done. He wanted to calculate. I remember one time I was getting ready to spank one of my children. And I said, if you do that, you're going to get a spanking. He goes, Dad. I said, yeah. How many? I said, hey, you're an idiot, man. You're dumb. Don't ask that. And if I tell you, when are you coming back? Don't say, when are you coming back? I said, because well, he's calculating, when do I have to get this done? 
The truth of the matter is, if we know Jesus is coming back and we don't know he's coming back, we need to live pure how often? Always, every day. And then, of course, in the book of Titus, in chapter 2, the Bible says, looking for that glorious hope and the great appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that'll do two things. It'll teach us to live soberly and righteously in this wicked world. You know what? If you and I are struggling with purity, we're struggling to live in holy life, something that can change that is if you realize that Jesus could come at any moment. Brother Vargo and I have a great friend. He's with the Lord now, and uh, his name was Gilbert Gaylor. But he would oftentimes, he'd, he, he's an older guy, he'd pull up his pants. John, every great Christian lives with the understanding of the imminent return of Christ. He would tell me, I said, okay, thank you, Brother Gilbert, that's good. But I, I've, I've, I've lodged that in my mind. You know, when you know that Jesus could come, you'll live pure. You'll have extra strength to keep on going through difficult seasons of your life. You'll live soberly and righteously and holy in this wicked world. And then finally, you'll be zealous of good works, the end of Titus chapter 2. You, you'll get with it. You'll realize, hey... Uh, we're going to separate from this body. We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to have a judgment seat of Christ. We'll give an account of our time, our talents, our treasures. We'll give, a town of our, give an account of our trials and our training and the truth that God's given us. We'll give, a, uh, give an account of how we led our families and how we responded to our husbands, ladies, and how we took care of our children, children, how you obeyed your mom and dad. All those things, you'll be zealous to say, you know what, what am I doing with my Saturdays? What am I doing with my evenings? Could I make a visit? Could I go see someone? Could I do that? Yeah, you could always do other things. But what is the most important in light of eternity? What can I do with my money? Oh, I know there's a lot of things we can think of doing. And then sometimes we want to say, I just got to make sure I got enough. I got enough to, to live on. But when we have opportunities, the Spirit of God is going to say, do this. Give here. Share this. Invest here. Hey, we got to think about this in light of the Lord's coming back. And this is important times. Well, chapter 1, we've talked about that, what you'll be remembered for, your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope. We'll talk a little, we spoke a little bit about how they turn from idols and serve the Lord God. The repentance is mentioned there and, and their great testimony. Chapter 2, we spoke about if the Lord's coming back, you and I need to be faithfully influencing others for the gospel of Christ and the ministry. Let me just tell you something real quickly, if I can. Occasionally, a pastor gets a little criticism about, I've talked too much about soul winning and too much about discipleship. But I'm just telling you something, and this is just something, I, a view that I have, and I, I don't expect everybody to agree with me. But I think soul winning is an inside track. When someone has a burden for souls, it's an inside track for wisdom. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of firm. They that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever. They that be wise. The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he that wins souls is, you know, I think you'll be a better mother, and you'll have more wisdom to help your children if you're a soul-winning mother than you will if you're not. I think we'll have wiser businessmen who are after souls. You'll be a better dad, a better brother, a better sister, a better son, a better daughter. And I'm so grateful. I think over 65 of our teenagers went to soul winning training yesterday. And on a nasty day out, they were there and learning the word of God. And I heard Josh Perez gave a great testimony from one of my kids, told me he just did a great job sharing the testimony of salvation and, and, and why the importance of soul winning. And thank God for that. 
I hope many more of our kids will, will attend next Saturday morning at 10 o'clock and learn more about how to win souls. I think young people make better decisions when they're soul conscious. I don't think it's a panacea to get over all your problems. You can have a head full of knowledge and a heart full of sin, a life full of sin. I understand that. But I think there's something about being wise that will give you wisdom, not only in, in just in soul winning, but in every area of your life. I find uh, Brother Rick Martin will be with us, but when he went to the Philippines, I read in his book, and he has a great book on, on starting a church in the mission field. If you don't have that book, I would encourage you to get it. I, I gave it to a young businessman to read. He says, Pastor, this has got more information about being a better businessman. This is a great book on time management and how to help people and things of that nature. But one of the things his goal was, and when he went to the Philippines, was to train 35 soul winners. That was his goal. He said, because soul winners will do anything. Soul winners will watch nurseries. They'll be security guards. Soul winners will clean, clean baptistries. They'll, they'll clean buildings. Soul winners will do anything. If you can train 35 soul winners, he said, then you've got people. And then they're winning people to Christ, and God will continue to bless. And now hundreds and thousands of people in the 40 years he's been there have been used of God because he started with 35 soul winners. Because they get wisdom. And I think that's something very important to us as a church. Well, let's look at chapter 3. And let me go through this real quickly. I want you to notice this. Um, let's look at chapter 3, verse number 1. And wherefore, when you can no longer forbear. So we, we couldn't take it anymore. We thought it good to be left at, at uh, Athens alone. He says, I, I, I knew I was run out of Thessalonica. I was ran out of Berea. I felt like it's best. I couldn't stay in Berea. And so I need to go to Athens. I'll go by myself and send back Silas and Timothy to come and check on and follow up with our new believers. Verse 2, and he sent Timotheus, our brother. Isn't it wonderful? He calls him his brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer. Boy, I tell you what, those are something all of us ought to be. We ought to be a good sibling in the house of God. We ought to be a good fellow laborer. We ought to be a good servant, a good minister. And that's what he was called in the gospel of Christ. And he sent him back here to establish you and, and comfort you concerning what? Two words there. You're going to find your faith five times exactly like that in the chapter 3. Someone tell me where the next time it comes. What verse? Verse 5. You see that? For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. What's the next time it comes in your Bible? Do you see it? What's the next verse? Six, right there, the very next verse. And Timothy came to us and to you and then brought to us the good tidings of what? Your faith. Verse seven, therefore, brethren, we're comforted over you in all of our afflictions and distresses of your faith. And then again in verse number 10. But uh, we see that as he concludes this chapter, he's going he's to say, look, we couldn't, I had to go to Athens, but I wanted Timothy to, I want to know how you were doing. And we'll find out that there's a great love in the heart of Paul for these people. And he wanted them to remember that Jesus is coming again. He reiterates it several times before he ends every chapter. He reminds them, hey, don't forget. Because I think knowing that will help us to live a much cleaner, purer, more purposeful, and servant life. With that in mind, I want you to notice those five words, those five times, your faith is mentioned. 
And I want to share with you five things about your faith. This month, we're talking about proclaiming our faith. This morning, we went to Acts chapter 13, and I enjoyed that past scripture. Didn't do a great job explaining it, but I like I liked the fact that, boy, getting the Word of God out. The Word of God is powerful, and it brings joy in the Holy Ghost for those who love it and will do it. Here we find your faith. Uh, someone said to me, and I've, I've quoted to you several times, the most important thing about you is your faith. So what comes to your mind and my mind when we think about God? Well, with that in mind, let's talk about five things that we see here in your faith, and I'll conclude as quick as I possibly can. I want you to look real quickly at verse number, verse number two. I, and sent Timotheus, our brother, a minister of God and fellow laborer of the gospel, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Our faith can be further established and comforted by God's instruments in your life. I wanted to ask you this real quickly. Who in your life has been used of God like Timothy was for these people to establish and to comfort their faith, your faith? How many could think of someone that comes to your mind that they maybe in your early days of life, they re- your, day, your days of a Christian, they really helped you? Someone raise your hand and tell me who comes to your mind. Marcia, your mother. And Maria, what a precious lady. I saw her at a prayer meeting tonight. Boy, there was a large prayer meeting tonight right before the service. Thank you for those who came. Yes, Al, who comes to your mind? Oh, yeah. You know, I think everybody has somebody. Everybody has somebody. If you'll think for a second, it might be your mom and dad. If it is, man, that's wonderful. My dad was definitely influential in my life to help me grow after he led me to Jesus. But boy, there were so many others. I remember the Mark Anderson, my youth pastor. Ron Burkholder, who just went, recently went home to be with the Lord. He was instrumental in my brother's life, especially, and in mine as well. So many other people throughout my life and your life. God gives instruments in your heart. In January, a few years ago, you got saved. Who was someone who helped you in the early days? What's his name? Eddie Sherman. And uh, is he still alive or is he with the Lord? He's in his 80s. Can't hear, but he was instrumental as an instrument to establish and comfort him in his faith. Friend, if that's happened to you, and it has, if you've been saved for five weeks, somebody has helped you. You need to be that for somebody else. Paul says, look, I can't get to you. I'm stuck over here in Athens. I couldn't take it. I couldn't forbear. I had to send Timothy. Because I want him to establish and comfort you in your faith. Is faith important, yes or no? Is faith important, yes or no? Very good. It's very important. And there's always an instrument, somebody that God's using in your, in your life and has used, and you and I need to be used in someone else's life. Look, if you would please, the second time we see it used in verse number 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the temper have tempted you. And I want you to read the next of the verse, with the last part of the verse. Everyone together and our... See, Pastor, is it important that I finish strong in my faith? There are people that used to sit here in this auditorium 
that are now serving God in different places of the world. And I'm telling you, as I thought about this week, I thought about Jeremy and Summer Malucci and Brother Stewart and uh, Mason and his family. And I thought about some other folks who are serving Christ, Brother, Bo- Brother and Mrs. Paul Boyce and Edie. And, some, oh, just, and then those are just a few folks, but other folks are PJ and Missy Pellini and Mark and Priscilla Duff. Those are just a name, just a couple that come to my mind. You could think of some others. That God sent them out to do something else. But there's others that are watching a football game tonight. They didn't go to church this morning. They're not interested tonight. They won't be in the midweek service, but at one time they were in it to win it. And when you see them in the community or you see them on Facebook and you see them with a cocktail in their hand, you see them dressed immodestly or, or, or in doing things that you're like, no, no. What does it do? How many get hurt by it? You feel like, man, my labor was in vain. I'm sure, Brother Eddie, you've been a youth pastor for thousands of people. And so many of them, like Todd Pointer and Kurt Beard, and I could just go on and on with, with wonderful servants who've gone out and done wonderful exploits for the Lord. But then there are those. When you look and you go, oh, they were such great kids. They just had a heart for God. I remember when they made that decision at that missions camp, and, I, and they went to camp, and God got a hold on that Thursday night. and They did run well, but someone came in between. The tempter was successful to get them out of the race. Faith is important because there's usually an instrument to comfort and establish us. But faith is important because if we stay faithful, we'll help those who helped us come to know Christ not think their labor was in vain. It's important. I sometimes say this with you, and I hope you'll say it with me again. All of us, one more time, all of us, listen, you quit, and it's going to hurt somebody real bad. It's going to hurt your mom. It's going to hurt your dad. It's going to hurt grandma that prayed for you. It's going to hurt your Sunday school teacher. It's going to hurt the youth pastor. It's going to hurt somebody. And you say, well, that's my life. You can do whatever you want to do. You can hold up that cocktail, and you can, you can go to the clubs, and you can do all the stuff you want to do and run, run or muck and tattoo yourself and pierce yourself when you think you're a Mr. T starter kit. You can live like the world, but you're not going to do it solo. You're not going to do it. You're not an island. You don't just affect yourself. You will either encourage those around you or you'll discourage especially those who invested much in our, in our spiritual life. Let's look at the next time we see it. We see, first of all, it's a, it, uh, our, our faith can be furthered and established and comforted by an instrument of God's help, and all of us have that. We can be that for somebody else. It validates labor invested into our lives by others so they don't feel like they wasted their time with us and their investment. Verse number six, but now when Timotheus came to you unto us and brought good tidings of your faith and charity, that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, and we also to see you. He says that Timothy gave good tidings of your faith. May I just remind you that your faith has a testimony, and it's reported. The Bible says, if any man love God, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 3, the same is known of them. 
Your faith has a testimony and people talk about you. If your faith is strong, you have a stronger testimony. If you have weak faith, you have a weaker testimony. But he said, boy, Paul, sitting in, and whenever, whenever, whenever Timothy came from Thessalonica and met him in Corinth, he said, let me tell you, they're doing great. Their faith is just fiery and fervent. They're going through difficult times, but Paul, you wouldn't believe it. And when he heard it, his heart was encouraged. Because faith, your faith, communicates a testimony. Teenagers, you say, I may be 14, you're 14 years old. You have a testimony. People see you. I was so blessed this week. had two men come to me privately and separately and said, you know what, I want to thank God. And he listened to one of our sons. He said, this, this young man is very different. And I want to thank you, Pastor. And I just said, you, you know, he's not perfect, I'm sure. You raised him, and I can verify he is not perfect. But he, he said, you know what? He's, he's special. He's got something special about him. He wants to serve the Lord. I thought, oh, praise the Lord. You know, a testimony communicates. Your testimony does, and mine does. And we find here the testimony was brought good tidings to Paul because it, it, he was able to share it with him. I want to have a good testimony. I want my faith to be very loud. Look at number, look at number four. Can we look at it, please? Number four is found in verse number seven. Read it out loud with me. Therefore, brethren, we are comforted over you in all our affliction and distresses by uh, our faith can strengthen others in their season of affliction and distress. Uh, one of the things I love about First Baptist Hammond, been here 134 years, has a, has some, we have some very disappointing things that have taken place in our past, but we also have some real good things. I love having people come up and they visit and they say, you know, all of you who've done so many things to help us, thank you. You know, people who go through difficult times, sometimes they get on internet and they watch one of our services. Had someone in a different country today watch our music this morning, watch the service. They're in a very over or oppressed country of the world, struggling in every way imaginable. They said, you know, I stayed up late so I could watch the morning service here. Boy, you did a good job. And boy, that message was good. And boy, that music was fantastic. I got another text from someone in West Virginia. They said, Pastor, I just, after I got out of church this morning, I turned on, and boy, you're right. Those two songs from the choir and Brother Mitchell and the family, they rang my bell. And boy, thank you for preaching. He said, something kind of happened negative in our church this morning, but I am so glad I could turn and get an encouragement in my time of distress. Your faith will encourage other people in seasons of their difficulty. Not all of us are going to be clicking on all eight cylinders all the time. College students, sometimes you're going to have great days. Other times, you're going to have some tough times. But somebody will say, my faith's going to be strong. In good times and bad times, you'll strengthen someone else in their difficult season. Lastly, let's look at the last time, verse number 10. The Bible says, night and day, doing what? exceedingly, that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. I want you to notice the last thing. Our faith grows through prayer and the presence of spiritual influences. He said, through praying for you, I, I am, I'm, I'm praying for you, I'm, and I'm excited about seeing your face first, face to face so I can encourage you. Our faith is strengthened through the prayers of other people. You know, sometimes we think, there's nothing, there's no doubt about it. Tonight, in prayer time, 
I know that this came to some of your things. Well, how long are we going to pray tonight? Oh, he wants to sing them two times, that song? We think that that's a waste of time. And boy, when we're, we're doing this right here, this, that's a good part. But he said, through prayer, through prayer, and through face-to-face communication from God's word, we can have our faith grown. These are some great things. I hope you'll look at them your personal. But how's your faith? Paul was very concerned about the faith of these new believers in Thessalonians and in, in the city of Thessalonica. And you and I ought to be excited about our faith too because it will encourage or discourage others. It will communicate. You won't have to decide. You won't have to tell people if you love God. Everybody's going to know it by your faith. It's a great testimony. And your faith can be fostered and grown by prayer and by face-to-face influences with spiritual uh, spiritual influence. You know, sometimes when I get real low, oftentimes it's because I spend more time watching a rodeo than I have been with God's people. Too, too busy doing other things. I'm not, I'm not, and by the way, when you get with me, when I get with you, we ought to ask each other. We ought to talk about the Bible. I'm convicted about this. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not, what? We don't talk about the Bible enough. When I get with you, you get with me. What do I say? You know, tell us what God's doing in your heart. What's a verse of Scripture that's happening? That ought to be as, that ought to be as normal as breathing. And provoking each other with spiritual influence that will strengthen our faith. Because Jesus is coming again. Let's stand together. Can we please?